0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Reconstructionist by Jonathan J. Foster. With so much changing in our society around sexuality, authority, patriarchy, religion, truth, and more, what we need is a book to help us navigate those changes while keeping love at the forefront. The Reconstructionist is that kind of book. Pick a copy up today on Amazon or any other fine digital retailer. The Reconstructionist, people greater than text, mercy greater than sacrifice, and love greater than fear.
1: Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Nat Turney. I'm with my brother John. As always, say hi, John. Hi, John. Alrighty. Well done, sir. As if on cue, like every time, you're not know, going to count on that. I, know, I like, I like I to have things that I can count on, um, but we're back well, with you know, another I'm, episode. I, I, I'm like Gracie. Are are you like Gracie, dim witted and predictable? Thanks, wow. that was that was amazing. So That's <laughs> anyway, so not nice, but okay. Stop it. You just go back to your drink. You'd be all right. No. <laughs> anyway, welcome, welcome back to the podcast. This is not church because if it was church, you'd have left by now. But um bump. Hey, we're glad that you're here though, and we have with us an awesome, amazing guest that we we actually had to uh, reschedule because of my grandson having to be flown off to the hospital and. Like mess everything up. So, by the way, he's fine. He's he's doing well. But I will tell him someday how he messed up this interview and it was his <laughs> fault. So, you know, I, I feel it's important that children know how much they've cost you or how much they've inconvenienced you at some point in their life. So, all right, yeah. all right. That's that's just my. That's why no one asked me to contribute to that parenting book. By the way, this, right, It's, right. it's, it's because yeah. of shit like this. <laughs> and I said, like, why would no? Anyway, all right. Our guest today is Dr. Rolf R. Nolasco. Let read you a little bit about. Dr. Rolf, and then we will get into what I hope to be a really awesome conversation. But uh, so Dr. Rolf R. Nalasco Jr. is Reuben P. Job Professor of Spiritual Formation and Pastoral Theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, USA. That's a mouthful, that whole thing. Woo! Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Awesome. As a queer person of color whose country of origin is the Philippines, Rolf works at the intersection of critical and liberative psychology, theology, spirituality, and effective neuroscience to address the complexity of the human condition and the potential for human flourishing. He is the author of The Contemplative Counselor, A Way of Being, Compa- I'm sorry, A Way of Being, Compassionate Presence, A Radical Response to Human Sufferings, and God's Beloved Queer, and also a brand new book called Hearts Ablaze, which is uh, a parables for the queer soul. Uh, he lives in Evanston, Illinois, and I am sure we have just barely scratched the surface of all the things that are very, very interesting. Welcome to the podcast, Rolf.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you, John, for having me tonight. It's so um, fun to just um, listen in to that conversation before you hit a recording. Oh,
0: good. Well, we, uh, we, we we pride ourselves on being um, um, what's the word, John? Um, good at communicating. <laughs> just kidding. That's as a the f- word. I'm kidding. No, we, man. We just we like we like people, Ralph. That's all it is. We just and, and and we like to have as many conversations with folks that are outside of our circles and outside of our our um our, our general experiences. Um, otherwise we get stuck, right? So I, for us, the point of of so much of this is to widen out our our experiences and meet different people with different points of view. So with all of that said. We like, to, we like to ask folks kind of our jumping off question is just to give us a little bit of their background, maybe religiously or maybe how you kind of traverse this thing called faith and just give us a little bit more than just a little bio I just read about you.
1: Sure. So, um, well, again, thank you for having me here. Um, I grew up in the Philippines and so for half of my life I grew up listening to and being exposed to an evangelical way of Expressing, experiencing God, and and that strand of evangelicalism actually has its roots in white colonialism. But um, that was my exposure, and um, and there are some good good parts about it. There are some really problematic diabolical parts of it and so this book is a way of reclaiming what I believe to be the true uh, meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and and so that's just part of part of who I am because I I you know I, I was born into a religious country so so everyone in the Philippines grew, uh was born into Catholicism and so religion is was continues to be everywhere. That was almost like a cradle. And and, and, and out of that, I've experienced different strands of accessing, experiencing, describing who God is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would imagine then, too, uh, my understanding is that sort of fundamentalism, too, within the Philippines is pretty strong, right? Would you describe your religious upbringing as pretty conservative?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I got 300 years of Spanish colonization.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so you know, the Bible was used along with the sword to dominate, um, our peoples. And so that, that lasted for 20 years. And so we somehow have forcefully um, embraced their particular theology, which really is a white theology and, and heavily, you know, Catholic in orientation. And then after that, uh, the Americans came, um, it was a whole new smokescreen, um, but that was another moment in history where we were heavily colonized by a different brand of Protestantism, which was a white Protestant, um, white Protestantism. And so really, we are trying to come out of this rubble of colonization um, and trying to distill for ourselves who got us which is difficult to do after being bombarded and conditioned by a particular way of understanding who God is. And so it's a constant struggle, I think. And we try to kind of navigate what's authentic, what is not of us. And um, and, and I just thank God because God continues to um, bring people, experiences, books, resources into our lives so we can begin to construct our own understanding of who God is that is real authentic to who we are as a nation as a people as Filipinos yeah so you know an
2: easy jumping off point for for me would be the the connection of the the Christian faith within the Mexican community because there's there's very much where you can see a, an intersection right of the Christian faith within uh, uh, faiths that were already there within. What we now call Mexico. So my question to you would be: Is is there a connection between a Christian faith and what you know what the Filipino faith would have been prior
1: to colonization? Uh, definitely, I think that there was already this consciousness about God, divine, transcendent, and part of that. Um, was tied to nature. Part of that was tied to just being in community with one another. And then the colonizers came and painted a different understanding of the transcendent, of what it means to be spiritual. What is spirituality? Who God is and who Jesus Christ is, and, and all that. And so there was already, I think, an innate, and, and this is more my theology. Uh, speaking, I think that there is, because we are created in the image of God, there is always this innate sense of God trying to reach us or us trying to reach God. And because of colonization, um, and they were very powerful, um, usurping and, 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 and stealing and dismissing and demonizing our own spiritualities, that exposure really did a damage on on us. And um, and so we're still trying to sift through what is authentically Christian and what is actually a version of Christianity that supports white power.
2: Right, yeah, yes, yeah. So as you write this book, right, Parts of Blaze, Parables for the Queer Soul, so you're not only, you're not only Dealing with this colonization of your nationality, you're also dealing with your sexuality, right? Uh-huh. You're dealing uh-huh. with this 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 whiteness, which we know as is is specifically a construct, right created by specifically western Western Europeans to create dominance over people that we call people of color. But we also create a dominance of of people who don't follow what we consider biblical within sexuality. So uh-huh. how do you how do you look at the parables of the Bible differently than say, you know, Matt and I, as we we look at as as we are these middle aged white cisgender men, right? Uh-huh. How, how uh-huh. does that how does that even how do you construct an idea that, that becomes this book?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for, for um, um, phrasing it that way, because when I wrote this book, I wanted to turn the table around and use the scripture as a resource, not as a, uh, as a, as a weapon, because the scripture has been weaponized to traumatize us, to harm us, to kill us, psychologically and literally. And so I thought there is something about the parables, for example, that um, would be quite uh, liberative to um, to study and 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 I grew up listening to a particular reading of these parables and and these are normative readings that are very race and gendered and and so I thought, well, parables are in some ways are like we're in a way that they are there to serve a particular purpose, but the purpose are actually quite multidimensional and powerful. So, I, I, so there is already an opening for me to queer these parables, to question the normative readings of these parables, and make them as a, as a resource for our own queer flourishing. So, that was really my intent: is to um, approach it from a, from a queer perspective and use it and offer it as a resource for. Um, for queer follow, for queer followers of jesus so that was that was really um, um, um a significant reason um for me writing this book second is i've lived the realities of what i do think about even though i wrote it more formally last year during during the pandemic in 2021 i've lived it most of my life and so it's been sitting there simmering growing expanding changing It it mirrors my own journey, I think, and and what I would like to be focusing on for the rest of my life. And that is really to not apologize for our existence, to not excuse um, our presence in these spaces, but to claim first and foremost that we are God's beloved weirs and that we don't really have to apologize for who we are. And so I come, I, I wrote this from a place of affirmation, from a place of, in, in a way, certainty in that we are part of God's wonderful creation. And as, and as part of God's wonderful creation, how can, then, how can we make use of these manifold gifts that we, that we, that we have, that, that's been gifted to us in the service of the flourishing of all people? I, I just, I can't tell
0: you how much I love all of that. It's one of those things that I, I'm learning as I get older that how we've normalized the reading of Scripture has, has tainted so much, right? I mean, so much of our theology in the West, we all think is, well, we just read the Bible. And, you know, that's what I, I get this pushback from people all the time that they, they tell me they don't, I don't interpret the Bible, I just read it. I'm like, well, that's impossible. That's silly. Of course you interpret it. And you just happen to interpret it through a, a, a lens that's been normalized for you. And one of the things I've had to ask myself, and I and I enjoy asking myself, okay, how would I see this if I was over here? How would I read? And we had a, we had a, a, an author come on and talk about her book about the first advent in Palestine, and she completely flips the script on the advent story and says, okay, what did this look like to a first century Palestinian? What did this incarnation look like? And it, and it was a it was a revelation. It's like, oh, okay, this didn't look the same to everybody. Not everyone experienced this, so I want to ask you if you if you wouldn't mind kind of give us an idea of how you would treat one of these parables. I don't know, maybe take one of the favorite one of your favorite ones from the book, or just kind of give us an idea what how you're working with that material to 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 bring about that other perspective.
1: Sure, and I can talk about the last chapter, which is the queer Christ, which is really what anchors not just this book, but everything that I do. Um, and it's a parable about uh, the wise. And the foolish builder, and I approach that by I I used to be a therapist, and so I I try to be empathic and and gentle to my queer siblings who will read this text and are still grappling with the trauma and harm that they've experienced in religious spaces. And so when I the read, the normative reading of that text is Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is. The foundation, but my my question is, who's who is this Jesus that we're talking about, really? Because the Jesus that I heard growing up was somewhat different from the Jesus that I'm encountering now, that I'm trying to follow, the Jesus that I'm trying to pattern my life after. And so that was that was that was the the the, the message of of this chapter is, who is this Jesus that we? Um, set our footing on. And so by, by, by asking the question that way, I then started to offer a different kind of Jesus. The Jesus that mirrors what I think is present in the gospels, the Jesus who dined with the outcasts of tax collector, the Jesus who really served uh, the people, the ordinary people, people who have been marginalized by society, who were not afraid to disrupt power structures and systems. And that for me was the queer Christ. And, 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 and for that particular chapter, the goal was to invite readers to differentiate the sanitized, the ontologized Christ with the queer Christ of the gospel. Because the queer Christ of the gospel goes down there and really work with the people, not with the establishment. The the sanitized white Christ is what I have been conditioned to believe. The white Christ is about this Jesus whose understanding of the the Holy Week narrative, right? That somehow he had to sacrifice himself to appease uh, a disgruntled, angry God, and really challenging atonement theory at its core. And I'm indebted to James Allison in this. But but the Jesus that I I have come to believe was um, a blackmailing Jesus, and and that by that I mean, you know. And, and here's 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 the here's the statement that usually. That that I usually hear um, in, in in this topic during Holy Week is Jesus died for you, so you better straighten up your life because Jesus' death on the cross will not mean anything. Now that's the the sacrificial atonement theory. Really, I mean, it serves the wishes of people who want to control and dominate religious the religious life of of people. That's that's not the, that's not the Jesus that I would like to put. That, that that I would like to stand on. I would like to be able to um, extract the queer Christ from that, um, so that I can at least um, have the confidence that the life that I'm living, that I'm being invited to participate, mirrors the very intention that God in Jesus Christ has for the entire creation. And so, I so so that was that was um, a big part of it. And then um, because I wanted to to not just do a personal reflection on this narrative. I did some, what they call historical critical method and and really went into, okay, so so how did the Palestinians actually uh, understand um, building a house? Well, in my studies, I realized that building, finding the foundation happened in the summer. That's the only that they could actually build an edifice. But for them to do that, they have to dig and dig and dig until they find the foundation. I took that as... For queer folks to really begin to heal from the trauma that religion had, imposed and 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 throwing at them, uh, and for, for our own sense of sanity, we need to constantly, almost every day, challenge, interrogate all theologies that do not support the flourishing of all. And that's the kind of digging. That I need, that we need as a community, so we can, by the grace of God, separate the wheat from the chaff, so that we can then separate what really is life affirming uh, from those that are life negating. And so I've 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 um I've incorporated you know some some historical critical um, studies, personal reflections, in my own understanding of who the queer Christ is. And so that's how I approach all. Ov- Every text or every
0: chapter from the book—that's a long-winded uh, answer. Not at Correct. all. No, it was, oh, no, it good. was good. It was very informative. I, we always bring our own experiences into these things, right? That's the one thing I, I keep trying to get over to like my my friends who are maybe biblical literalists and they whatever. And I'm like, e- everything you everything you bring to the text—that's that's that's, that's ex- extraneous, I guess. It's it's a filter, right? We all have the. So I would read that text, and I would. I could write a sermon and I will tell you, I would write the, the sermon that I would write would be something like, well, you know, if Jesus is the cornerstone, right? Uh-huh. Then, then every other part of that foundation is measured off the cornerstone. And if your cornerstone's off, then your foundation's flat and you build a crappy building. I would really approach that. I would have approached that from a very literal perspective, right? And, and as I've dug and I've dug, I've, I'm trying to find like what the, the kinds of things that you're talking about. Well, what were the undercurrents, you know? And, and one of the things that I had to interrogate about my own faith very early on in my process was, what is this Jesus that I that I claim to follow? What kind of Jesus have, have I inherited from my own religious traditions, you know? In what way has I even as a as a white cisgendered middle aged guy? In what ways have I even been colonized by a version of my faith that's not authentic to who Christ really is? And I had to start to find ways around that and strip those things away and I, I'm not there yet. I think I think that's probably a lifelong process but but meeting people like you who will then challenge that even further is I can't even tell you how important that is. I mean that's that's something that is that is 100% necessary if we're ever going to come to any kind of uh, authentic experience of who Christ is and and what what it means to follow him. So kudos for that. I I'd love I, um, and Now I'm just gushing. I'll, I'll stop and
2: ask a question at some point. <laughs> John, say something smart so I can uh, I can select well, my I thoughts. Have, I, <laughs> I have two uh, two things to say, uh, and and I, I don't remember who this was that talked about this, and it wasn't on our podcast. It was on another podcast I listened to, and it was again talking about the parables of Jesus, and it was the parable of the, uh, and I'm going to get this wrong because I I'm not a biblical scholar. The uh, the person who owns the property who hires. People to work on the property, right? And so uh, someone's hired in the early morning and then someone's hired later in the day and then someone's hired even later in the day, but they all get paid the same. We look at that parable from the white colonizing ideal and it's like, well, that's not fair. Jesus is, Jesus is teaching a, a, a parable that's not fair. And this person was coming from an immigrant status and he had a completely different view of this. And his view was that it's not about, it's not about the, the owner. It's about the, the people who were asked to work on the land. And so he had a different perspective of the whole process of how they were hired and coming from a uh, an immigrant status of how this works and it was it was astonishing and for me uh, i had never heard it that way and the other the other version of this for me is and this doesn't really fit into any specific parable but it is it fits into this idea of uh the queer narrative right that most cultures have something within their culture that understands uh people who are within what we would call the The homosexual or queer community uh Native Americans call them two spirit uh-huh. yeah right, but uh we as white colonizers come in and we say this isn't right, this isn't okay you need to you need to squash this idea, even though almost every culture that the white Western Europeans came into had already an idea of this which like the Native Americans called Two-Spirit. Uh, and then we squashed that. We told them that's not normal. We told them that that's not of God. And so for me, and I can't speak for my brother, but for me, it was a very big hurdle to jump over that it was us as white colonizers who have actually squashed this idea that anyone who wasn't heterosexual was not normal, right? And that, so anyone was, yeah exactly, an abomination. But within almost every culture outside of the Christian faith, this was an accepted part of society that we, as white colonizers, squashed. Yeah. How much of that, though, comes from our
0: seeming obsessive need to moralize everything? you know i mean that's it's really strange because it seems like jesus went out of his way to not I don't, to not moralize everything i mean there were so many times when when he he butts right up against moral norms and says yeah i know i'm supposed to stone this woman that you caught in adultery but i'm not gonna and so it seems like the bulk of Jesus' ministry is specifically aimed at not making these clear sort of um arbitrary lines of morality and is more of an ethical approach of how do we treat our fellow human being? How do we love people well?
1: I think it's tied think to power and control. It's a lot easier to control people if it's either or. This is good. This is bad. It's a lot easier to control people if we moralize every little thing in this world, right? And so that also, in some ways, is people's agency. That dismisses people's ability to think for themselves. So actually, allow them the opportunity to not just think for themselves, but think alongside their community, to think alongside the innate divinity that is in us. Right? That's all obliterated because they're yeah they're threatened by people who are reflective, insightful, and have like, empowered people. Yeah, it's it's it's.
0: It's, it's sad, you know, it is unfortunate, but that's, that, that seems to be, you know, when I, when I, when I'm critical of religion, that's what I usually mean. All the ways in which religious structures come along to, to strip us of agency and to strip us of any sense of autonomy and individuality and all that other, you know, they're just, you know, that's, I think that's what kind of pushed me over the edge ultimately with, with church and everything was, um, I couldn't find my, I couldn't find my way out of that maze of of trying to make everyone look the same, sound the same, think the same, you know, parrot the same theology um, one of those things you brought up just a little bit ago was atonement theory and that was one of the biggest hurdles for me was getting over a westernized ideal of what it what it, what what happened on the cross what did that mean and you said it perfectly, I think that that whole idea of well the sacri- I sacrificed myself for you, but you better get on board and you better get your stuff together so now I can continue, continue if that's, if that's what happened, I don't want any part of it.
1: Um, you know what I mean? Blackmail.
0: Like, yeah, it is. Black. It's, it's spiritual. It's, it's spiritual. Yeah. Blackmail. That's the right word for it. I'm, I was trying <laughs> to it's, well, it's, uh, I was having this discussion with my, one of my, with one of my sons and uh, we had just read the, the book, Love Wins. And I had, I'd asked him to read this and he's not, he doesn't, you know, not a big theological guy, but he read it and he was, his, his response to that book was, well, duh. Like what's so earth shaking about this? God loves everyone, I get it. The whole idea of hell is a is a coercive, manipulative, threatening how that that's not none of that is love. So that can't be that can't be how God operates. Love me back or else. Um, which which then can sort of begin to work its way through your atonement theories, which means that can't be how it is either. But anyway, and and I think if we'll allow it, it'll actually get into the way that we 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 begin to to view our fellow human beings, regardless of, of, of who they are and how they, how they express themselves. But that's a big step for the church, I think. i I'm, I'm, I would imagine that your experience inside of traditional church has not been one that's fully accepting and fully embracing you and in in, in, in your entirety. Right.
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, I lived half of my life in the Philippines and, and this is something that I'm still reflecting on. So I've, I've moved and, and served and lived in these evangelical spaces and I was never in the closet. Um, if you see me, talk to me, you know that there is something queer about me. <laughs> um, but, but yet in those spaces, I, I felt accepted with a question mark. I felt affirmed with a question mark. I felt, I felt honored with a question mark. And I, these question marks are lingering because I was a very functional, productive person. I was a very functional, productive Christian. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't um, uh, doing things that will create scandals. I was a really good Christian dude. <laughs> vegan. And, 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 but I, I, did, I did not make any noise. I was just doing things because I just love the Lord. And, and really wanting to serve the Lord, and and so I think personally, on a on a on a more personal level, I think people know and they love me as I am. When it comes to institutional pronouncements, when church needs to make a stand, that is when they start separating who's in, and out. But relationally, I think that I was loved by those people. Yeah, I, I you know I, I can see that because that that's been.
0: The experiences that I've had in church, where there have been people around me that I knew were out, and they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't hiding who they were, and and they were, you know, what what you said just clicked because they were very productive. They were the ones who were helping set up church on Sunday morning and serving the coffee and doing the things, and but I also knew in the back of my mind that there was a ceiling for all of them, mm-hmm. like there was going to be a place where their their level of involvement would be curtailed at some point. Be like, hey. You can do this, and you can do this, but you're probably not going to stand up and preach on Sunday morning, and you're probably not going to be allowed to, to. Our church wouldn't have allowed you to sing on the worship team, or you know, I mean, some some sort of platform. Like we've elevated that; those people on the stage are somehow have to be better. I don't know, but and that's what started to cause me to to, to ask some really hard questions. You know, I'm like, well, this this doesn't seem this doesn't seem right. You're willing to embrace. And I think what you said is exactly true. Uh, like individually, relationally, there was no issue. There was no problem. But institutionally, there would have been. Uh, is, am I saying that right? Would you agree?
1: And, and, and that's, that's, that's the crux because that's, that whole issue of belongingness is important for, for people. And, and so the conversation around queer matters become the dividing line uh, that determines who belongs where. Right, and usually that's done publicly, right. right? And so, when when situations like that happen publicly, that's when you will see who will be behind you, or beside you, when everything right. is accounted for.
0: Well, and I'm thinking about my own. Again, I'm, I'm I'm inserting my own experiences here, but I'm thinking about those people that I did know, and had they say say, I'm thinking of these these two women that I know who got married, but. You can can bet your ass they didn't get married in the church. So relationally, nobody had an issue with it. And people from the church went to the wedding, but they knew to not even ask to have that wedding in the church. And they knew to not even ask to have the pastor of that church conduct the Uh ceremony, even though that was their pastor. Who they sat under for years and listened to and who loved them and who embraced them. But that was a bridge too far. Like, I almost feel like there was enough plausible deniability for them that they could say, "Well, you know, they're so so. Go ahead and 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 be out, but just don't be too far out." Mm. <laughs> like, 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 it's like,
1: conditional, isn't it? The acceptance, the love that we are actually proclaiming from the pulpit, from the church wall, is very conditional, to very things. yeah, you're
0: right. yeah, exactly. So that's uh, it's uh, it's heartbreaking. I I we've John and I've said this to as many guests as we've had on when we talk about these issues. Uh, I do see the church moving glacially. I think at times, I think slowly, but I do see, I, I see more of it now than I would have 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, um, these
0: conversations with a lot of people would have just stopped at the word queer Christian would have been, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's not even a thing. Like, like one of those would cancel the other out, right? So I see that ability on my part, at least to have these really high level conversations with folks that, that maybe even don't agree, but that are still willing to listen more so now, uh, and but again, that's not my day to day life, so I don't know if that's been your experience at all. That maybe we're moving a little bit farther in the right direction.
1: Out of glacial, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, sort of in yeah. like more like <laughs> geological terms, like. What was <laughs> that line from uh, uh, "The Devil Wears Prada"? So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, if, so we, if we put it in geologic terms we're still in the jurassic area right we're, we're moving okay all right that's well i mean as my as, as, yeah as my pastor used to say all all you know even baby steps are steps um I mean, all steps forward are steps but i i would imagine i, I remember you know talking to, to other people of color who've talked about you know civil rights and they've worked through all that stuff and they're like they got tired of hearing people tell them, "No, things are getting better," and they're like, "Maybe they are, but just not nearly fast enough." And in the meantime, there are people suffering, and in the meantime, there are people are being killed, or being right. killed, or
2: being you know, well, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the sad part, right? the the, the theology of white middle aged cisgender men is literally killing people, uh, and if they're 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 complacent at minimum, uh, they are. They are criminal. Think, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, oh, complicit, yeah, Complicit. Oh, complicit sorry. Uh, at minimum, uh, they are, you know, in a court of law, they would be held liable for some of these murders if, 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 if all was to be true and and put out in for the for the world to judge them. That's that's the sad part. Is that. You know, I, I went to a church for a while where the pastor would say, "Well, of course, all are welcome, all are loved," and like Nat said, but but God, God forbid they asked to be on the worship team. Or, you know, God forbid they asked to to teach Sunday school, and seriously, God forbid they ever actually asked to stand in front of the the congregation to preach. Well, the, that's but, but, that right? Because the caveat
0: would always be, "You're loved." And you are welcome, but we're going to expect you to change. Right, right, right. right. So, hey, we're going to deal, because everyone's got their issues, right? And that was the whole love, the sinner, hate, the sin bullshit that everyone tried to pull for a while. You know, and they still do pull it with the presupposition that that someone's identity is somehow sinful. And so now, yes, of course, God loves you, but God loves you enough not to leave you in your in your state. He's going to try and, you know, And I think that gives rise to all kinds of what, all, you know, the kinds of therapies that. Quote unquote, people try, have tried to conversion therapies and all kinds of other barbaric shit that, that people have done. But in the macro sense, if you widen out, that same kind of theology allows things like pulse to happen, allows things like the, the, the other shootings and, and the, the targeting of, of a community um, because you've been given permission to marginalize and dehumanize. And so suddenly taking a life doesn't seem like that far of a stretch. And that's something we all got to, that, that, that we have to reckon with. I think. What do we do about it? I don't know. We can stop with like maybe
2: not having machine guns readily available, but that <laughs>
0: that, that won't cure yeah. the issues of
2: people's messed up hearts. But well, it, it, sadly, and on, on, on top of that, like the most recent shooting right within the Asian New Year, where uh, someone uh, within uh, their own community killed art. killed yeah. people of their own community. I guarantee. And I, and I, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. I guarantee this shooting is definitely and 100% connected to white colonization of a self-hatred of yourself and a self-hatred of your community. So then we as white people get to go, well, look, see, that's, that's Asian killing Asian. That's not us. There's no, 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 sorry, sorry. That's 100% still us. And if you don't, if you don't want to admit that, you, you don't even understand what's going on.
1: And thank you for saying that, John, because I think you're right. Not, not I think, it, you're right. I think there is internalized racism because of whiteness, because of colonization. And this this, this didn't happen yesterday. It, it's, it's continuing to happen. It happened a long time ago, and it happens every day. So I think it's important to always have a, a bird's eye view of what really... Um, are responsible for some of the killings that are happening around us. And you hide right, it's whiteness through and through. It's oppression, it's colonization, it's, it's a scary world, really. It right? is, and I,
0: it, so as we see as we see things in some respects moving backwards, how, how do you, I mean, what does that do to the, to the LGBTQIA plus community to see things on some levels getting better, but on other levels, man, they're rolling back. Our our good friend Governor DeSantis, DeSantis in Florida. Has, Sorry, I, I'm, I'm trying. To, I was trying to think of a clever way to say his name that would be more um, insulting. But anyway, yeah. What 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 the hell is he doing? You know, I mean, one step forward, five steps back, ten steps back. I mean, what does that do to a community? to to, to have to experience that. Well,
1: if anything, it creates a sense of vigilance. Mm, okay. But is not healthy because for a marginalized community, we're always on survival mode, no? and so our fight and flight fight and flight response um, is always uh, on. And so, if you see things happening around you, happening to people like you, the vigilance doubled, and, and so that's not necessarily healthy. because you're releasing an exorbitant amount of cortisol in your body because you're on high alert all the time. And so that's that's one um, effect of just the onslaught of violence around us, particularly among um, people of color or communities of color. Um, On the other hand, um, for queer folks, it also in some ways issues a different call, i.e., but we need to be constantly mindful of our own uh, way of being with other people because we can also certainly replicate what's happening out there. Because I know that within the queer community, there's stratification, there's a caste system. Sure, okay. Uh, you know, with the white gaze and white gaze on top mm-hmm. and the brown and black trans community at the bottom. Um, and so within our own community, there's a lot of ageism. There's a lot of um, isms, racism, classism happening as well. So it's not as if we're free from that. In fact, we bring that into our own ways of relating to one another because that's been our conditioning. That's been the context that we're living our lives out of. And so for, for situations like this, um, we need to be aware and alert on how we replicate the system of oppression that is all around us. And and I think lastly, <laughs> you know, I just finished teaching uh, contemplating spirituality again, and once again, I I realized how important ending one's spirituality is, especially in this day and age, because... Contemplation particularly allows um, individuals to become mindful of their own interior lives, their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, but also it gives them the opportunity to see what's happening in the world and respond compassionately to what's happening in the world. Um, And so I think another way of responding would be to tend our own interior garden and see if we can find a resource there that will help us deal with what's happening outside of us. I mean,
0: so is that where, let me ask you this, because as I read through your bio, I read something about effective neuroscience. So is that where, does some of that come into play? Because maybe, cause oh, that, I, I, uh, talk about that, because it has to do with sort of emotions and trauma. And so how, how does that field relate into what you're talking about?
1: So when I, when I wrote my first book, which is uh, The Contemplative Counselor, I was introduced to mindfulness and Buddhist psychology and Thomas Merton and and contemplation. Love that, mm-hmm. that became my second conversion. Yeah. Um and, and I'm also quite an introverted kind of guy and so I revel in silence and solitude. And so when I when this new world opened up, I I, I was there right away. And that became for me uh, the fuel for everything that I do, and and in contemplation, I became aware of I became aware of uh, my own sense of embodiment, how my thoughts and feelings just, get, you know, they they shape and they dictate um, how I am in the world, and I become more aware of that, and and that training and that exposure therapy that I've done. Um, also expanded my understanding of how trauma works and 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 how trauma uh, wrecks not just wrecks our own internal safety and, and and what we can do to mitigate some of the effects uh traumatic effects that keep happening around us I, my my approach to to my scholarship to my teaching is integrated in nature and so um, I start with who I am as a, um, uh, as a, per- as a person of color, but I have, I'm have i embodied, fully embodied. And, and, and so I want to use my body as a source of wisdom and knowledge. So that when I am in spaces where I'm getting anxious and getting afraid, then I should listen to that, pay attention to that because my body's telling me something. And usually I get that experience when I feel unsafe around me. If I don't don't pay attention to those things, then um, I will get harmed and 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 without psychologically without me even knowing it. And so so that has given me um, um, a resource to 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 handle really difficult situations. Um, and spirituality, I mean, meditation and mindfulness does something on your brain as well. I mean, we, you know, in, in, in basic meditation, in basic breathing meditation, we, um, we calm our very anxious body, anxious mind. And so it does, it, it does a lot if we allow people to get to know their bodies, be acquainted with how our body works and, and how it functions and, and what we can do to actually resource our own um, well-being. And, and that has been such a, um, a tool that I that I go back to um, to deal with everything else that's happening. Well, it seems like too, because one of the things that
0: I address um, in some of the stuff that I've written is this I feel, like th- I feel like religion and the church has done a number on, on our ability to trust ourselves
1: mm.
0: by inserting themselves as some sort of ultimate authority to which we're supposed to just acquiesce. And in the meantime, telling us at uh, the other side of their mouth that, that our hearts are, are not to be trusted. And so there's this intuitive thing in all of us that I think relates to what you're talking about that we would normally, I think, listen to, except we've been told not to trust it because you know after all the bible tells you you know the heart is wicked and deceitful and it's you know uh, sick yeah. and it can't be trusted and and i think over time that just erodes don't you think i mean can it just erode your sense of self erode erode your own sense of autonomy and agency and so you figure and I, I think that's at the at its at its worst that's what religion does to people
1: Well, it severs um, it severs our head from the rest of our body yeah and, and and this whole thing about I think therefore I am very Descartes in understanding of, of, of the world. I mean, that also in some ways erodes um, what really is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I mean, the, the whole incarnation is about God taking on human flesh. And so there is something divine and sacred about the human flesh. And, and yet that, that that is usually taken as you know um, as bad or 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 questionable or suspicious, and and therefore this allows us from realizing the wisdom that is in our body as well.
0: Yeah, well, because because then, yeah, oh my gosh, no, you you got my head spinning. But so yeah, this whole idea of trans, of, of of Christian transcendence is is to me is, is all about transcending i have to transcend this corrupt mortal flesh and so the spiritual has been elevated way above the physical and so i need to i need to trust my my thoughts i guess more than i would my feelings um, which i, I can't, yeah. it can't be true right i mean uh, cuz then you end up with what you what you talked about with this sort of sanitized version of jesus who didn't feel anything who 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 was never afraid, who was never sad, or was never you know, we've just created a two a two dimensional caricature of a human being who uh, we could never possibly understand or follow. So that and it's like,
1: gendered, gendered as well because reason is is more a masculine uh, masculine trait, and then an emotion is a feminine trait. That's how uh, that's what happens when when we think either or, right? Justifies. Certain
2: arrangements in society. No, you're exactly right. Wow, it's it's interesting because um, when my wife and I were married, I was very much outside of the faith, and so when bad things would come up in our in our in our life, my wife would turn to me and say, "Well, what does your gut tell you?" And I would give her my response. It's like, "Well." My gut says we're going to be fine. And she would, and she would believe that inherently. As I kind of re-entered the faith, my quote unquote gut instinct went away because I instinctively re- reminded myself that within the faith, my, what I believed internally could not be trusted because I had to believe in God. And so this idea that I could inherently tell my wife that my gut says that we're going to be good or my gut says that this is a bad situation and we should probably move away from it, went away. And sadly, uh, to this day, because of my reconnection to the church, uh, my wife doesn't really trust my gut anymore. <laughs> and I think that sadly I, because I did, I allowed my faith to take over what inherently told me what was going to harm us and what was not going to harm us or what was going to be okay and what was not going to be okay. And so I lost that connection to the divine that allowed me to hear. Yeah, this is a bad situation, but here. But trust me, we're going to be okay. And that's sad because I let this white God tell me that I I could not trust myself anymore. And so that, that's, that's, just, you know, I'm, I'm coming to grips with that. That's a sad situation that I, I, I have, I've broken that. That trust between me and my wife that allowed us to have that moment where she would look at me and say, are we going to be okay? And I could say, my gut says we're going to be okay. And so that's sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, say, uh, you say it sad and I laughed. I didn't mean that derisively. I don't no, I apologize. No, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I laugh.
2: No, I laugh at it as well because, you know, in a, in a weird way, when I was less quote unquote faithful, I think I was more faithful. But let me ask you this, how much more so for, for queer folks
0: does this do damage? Because so much
1: I mean
0: I mean, if, if, if I experienced this and I was not trying to move outside of quote unquote normal gender roles or sexual you know, sexual right. identity or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I still experience that kind of trauma, how much more so? And I think especially about about kids, teenagers, you know, people who are just coming into adolescence and wrestling with this stuff. And only can they trust that, and only are they told they can't trust their hearts and their feet. Well, then that means you can't trust any
1: of that. Right, right. Well, uh, it's uh, queer erotic desires are bodily based first. Our attraction, our sexuality, they're bodily based. And then we find emotions to describe these bodily responses. And so if the church says, that being queer is bad. What you're actually saying is, whatever it is that you're feeling, which is human through and through, is bad and cannot be trusted. In a way, you're not really human for having those feelings, right? And so, and so, my 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 thesis in in, in this book is: your queer erotic desires—they're God's gifts to you. It's something to be embraced, to be celebrated, to be affirmed, just like any. This gendered person whose action and orientation are bodily based as well. But they're okay. They're affirmed. We've got ceremonies. The church blesses that because that's how heterosexism works in patriarchy. And so my my message to those young folks do not do not deny what is so human and and embrace as fully as you can, uh, because that is God's gift to you. Well, and it's it's sad also, though, that even even inside
0: of quote unquote normative, you know, sexual orientation, the church has managed to fuck that up as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and John and I man, we were, man, we were shamed endlessly. Uh, we were we were both victims of purity culture, and there was so much baggage attached to all of that stuff. That I, so what makes my head spin is how it must've been a hundred times worse for, for, for those outside so, and, oh, and, and oh, it had it oh. been as, cause it was not good for us. I mean, yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have any of the sense of like, well, this is, this isn't, this isn't natural, I guess. But there was certainly, man, there was certainly a ton of shame attached to it. And there was certainly a ton of, you know, a ton of specific rules placed on it and all kinds of controlling, you know, mechanisms put on it. And it was fine as long as it was as within this certain construct. And so, like I said, we, we managed to even mess that whole thing up. I mean, <laughs> so, but it breaks my heart. You know, that that's one of the things that John, I know John one of the big reasons that John stepped away from church, it's, it's one of the big reasons that I actually stepped away from a church and planted a church that was affirming because I'm like, I, I can't be inside this construct anymore where people are being marginalized, even, even if the people in charge think they're being nice. Right. We're being
1: marginalized for being human. For, yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: I, I, um, it's, it's just sad. When I, when I left the church, I was very heavily connected with a theater group. Which, for whatever reason, and 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 that's a whole other story as to why so many queer folks end up in theater, and I think that would be an an interesting story on itself as to why that happens. But I, you know, I'm doing a show. There's a friend who is obviously gay, and he's doing everything in his power to say he's not. So in a, in a world that welcomes him as, as a homosexual, he still has this, this underlying whatever fear fear. that he can't, he can't out himself, which caused him to have physical pain, physical ailments that tortured him through the whole show we did. We helped him through it, right? We helped him through as, as as the best we could, but he's like, No, I'm in love with a woman. I can't be gay because I love this woman. And it was it was painful for me to watch. I can't imagine what he was going through to finally be able to get to the point where he's like, No, I am gay. But he had to go through that season of just torment and physical pain, mental pain. Of denying who he really was, because even in an accepting group, he knew that there was only a level of acceptance that was going to allow him to exist, not be who he truly was. And that's that I, I can't even imagine because I've never had to deal with that. I've never had to be in that world where just me existing was a problem for other people. So that. I admire anyone who is able to step out of that and say, no, I am who I am. And if you don't like it, tough shit. (laughs) Takes a lot of courage.
1: Well, it's hard because that means severing ties from your family, from your friends, from really everyone that um, has provided you with a sense of safety, a false sense of safety, really. And that, that that person, his body was telling him something already. Right, right, right? exactly, and yeah. But, but, but the conditioning, the belief was so powerful, he could not right. listen and pay attention to what his body was telling.
2: So, I mean, you know, this is like a soap bo- soapbox moment, right, that I'm going to say. But I was like, so as we, as we move forward, uh, I want anyone who understands that they don't feel like they don't, fit in. They don't feel like they don't belong, but there are communities for them. And uh, if you can at least step back for a moment and say, I need to find a community that allows me to be who I am, uh, please find those communities. And, you know, there are, in every in every society, in every situation, there are communities that allow you to be accepted. And um, we hope in our little way, to be some place that allows you at least a stepping stone to be accepted and find your community and find the place where you are loved not because of who other people want you to be, but because of who you are, right?
1: And and for those of us who are sensing that that is what this person is needing, wishing, clamoring for, but couldn't, let's also take the initiative to reach out to them. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, because there there will be those who will suffer in silence. But uh, there are those whose antenna, Kedor, uh, as as we call it, or sensitivities, who can sense some of these things, right? And I hope that we would be good Samaritans to one another and really bind the wounds and bind up the wounded and and, and provide a sense of solace and retreat. There's so many of us suffering in isolation. Well, wow. I, I,
0: as we wrap this up and we start to wind it down, I, I could talk to you forever. I mean, I, I, I have this experience with so many people that we have on the on on the podcast, and I'm I'm always just amazed at how quickly connections can be made. And we go, man, we could just hang out. And we could, but I, I I am so thankful for people like you who are writing books like this. I'm thankful. I think there's a lot of bravery that that comes with writing books of this nature in in our sphere, <laughs> knowing some of the slings and arrows that will come your way. Um, so I appreciate you being being willing to do that. Um, if you guys, if you want to do anything at all, go buy the book or the books. There's more than one, but the newest one, Hearts Ablaze, Parables for the Queer Soul, uh, Rolf R. Nolasco Jr. Uh, you, it's well worth your time. It's well worth your 15 or 20 bucks, whatever it costs on Amazon to, to support the work. And we'll make sure and link to whatever you've got going on social media wise. If you've got um, classes you're teaching or whatever you're doing, we just we want to make sure people can get connected with you if they want to. And uh, man, I don't from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming back and rescheduling this with us. I, I enjoyed the conversation very
1: much. Same here. Thank you so much for just, this conversation, really a dialogue. Absolutely nothing. We really appreciate you championing our people. Well, we are. Uh, uh, you are our allies. Okay, all, right. hey, all
0: right, good. Well, I, I heard. I actually heard somebody say that the other day about even the, like the word Christian. Like, I'm not going to call myself a Christian. If somebody else sees something about me that they think is sort of Christ-like and they want to attribute that to me, fine. Um, I'm like, that's eh, maybe it's a healthy way of looking at it. I'm, but we appreciate the chance anytime to uh, you know. Because the, the the other part of this is, I hope that there are people listening who might. Maybe might not have thought about some of these things before, who might who might also get a chance because I, I have found that so much of this stuff is solved in relationships. Oh, um, always, it's always. so hard to marginalize people that you know. It's so hard to 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 think about people as two dimensional when you actually have a relationship with them. And so I would challenge anybody, man, um, make some friends, widen your circles, find out some stuff, you know. And
2: I haven't. You know, I haven't backed away from the, the, the notion that, you know, me as a 17 year old who had no idea what homosexual lifestyle or what, what any of that meant. And as I'm stepping into theater, uh, and being introduced to a whole group of people that I wouldn't have met if I hadn't been asked to do, you know, regional theater, that it completely changed my life. It made me understand. For lack of a better uh, definition, it is that we are all more alike than we than we want to admit, and what we are asking for is love and acceptance, and that's really what it comes down to. And uh, you know, I have to, you know, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it. I have to thank my music teacher in high school for asking me to to perform in a local theater to really connect me with the LGBTQIA plus community. And really show me that I was wrong a thousand percent. Because the the church that I grew up in told me certain things about these people, right? That was a hundred percent wrong. And what I would really encourage anyone to do is like, if you really, if you really want to understand somebody is to get to know them. And that is, that's that could be, you know, connected to the LGBTQIA plus community. That could be connecting with the BIPOC community. Anybody. If you don't, if you're not connected with them and you don't understand them and you don't, you're not willing to take the time to, to commune with them, then you don't really have a lot to say about what they're, what they are, what they are or what they aren't. And, um, that, that would be, that would be my last statement on all of this parting words from John. <laughs> and now, deep thoughts.
0: No, I'm just yeah, kidding. No, uh, no. All right, before I say anything silly to undermine the seriousness of what you just said, I will just say thank you again. I appreciate yes, you absolutely. Um, and I like to always end with buy the book. All right, everybody. Yes. Go support yes. go support the work. So, we appreciate you Absolutely. All. Thank you for listening to This is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.